You're listening to Rosie on the House. Come on around back, Arizona. It's 8 o'clock hour, our second hour of our weekly radio broadcast. We call it our outdoor living hour. It's the third Saturday of the month. We have notes from the nursery with uh, third-generation gardener, nurseryman Jay Harper. Welcome to the broadcast. Now with the Farm's Choice, you spent years growing them. Now you're uh, spending the rest of the time feeding them. That's it. <laughs> we uh, we do our best to uh, make sure things are growing, whether it's a, a farmer. Right now we're shipping a lot of stuff for pecans and uh, southeastern Arizona and dates and southwestern Arizona and golf courses are starting to crank up with their transition and uh, some citrus guys in Yuma. So there's all kinds of stuff to be fertilized for the homeowner. You know, we're we're nearing the end of May, which means we're nearing that magical Memorial Day time to feed citrus. So uh, get on get it on the calendar. It's time to start fertilizing things like citrus, really all of your shade trees, all of your heat-loving trees and shrubs. Get them Get them well-nourished so that they're more able to, the healthier they are, the more they're going to be able to withstand the stress that we know is coming. And mulching is a big part of that. And mulching and making sure your irrigation system is working properly. Um, Yeah, so the kind of the trifecta, proper irrigation function so that when you do need to ramp it up, all you got to do is change the schedule a little bit. You know, things are are putting water where they should be. They're running the way they should be. We're just going to reschedule. So probably already had to reschedule once, you know, from winter, especially this winter when it was so wet. So we've rescheduled at least once. We're doing it more frequently. And we're going to have to do it again. You know, although this weekend they're saying it's going to be pretty darn nice again, maybe in the 80s again. So, Much better to go ahead and fertilize your citrus this weekend instead of waiting to that, quote, Memorial Day weekend next weekend yeah. when it's probably going to be a little bit warmer. <laughs> Absolutely. And when we say Memorial Day, that's just a, you know, just something to help us The tree remember. doesn't know. <laughs> it, it can be, you know, several weeks or a month on either side of that is fine. So, yeah, make sure that the trifecta is make sure your irrigation is working properly. Make sure it's scheduled properly. Fertilizing at the proper time in the proper amount with the proper product and mulching to get things through the summer months is just, boy, people don't do it enough. Um, now, it'll really help. There's a difference between mulch and compost. Well, compost can be used as a mulch. So mulch is just on top. So think you can use bark. You can use compost. You can use wood chips. You can uh, use shredded newspaper, I suppose. Uh, people will claim that decomposed granite is a mulch. I'm going to argue with them <laughs> till I'm blue in the face that it's not a good mulch. Um, uh, I think it needs to be organic. I think to get all the real true properties that a mulch needs to have that cooling insulative effect, it, it ought to be, you know, uh, you know, something that's that's organic in nature. And so, if you've got a compost pile, you could use your compost as a mulch um, on top. What you don't want to do is take uncomposted organic material and use it like a compost, tilling it in, incorporating it into the soil, using it as a planting amendment that you're going to then plant seeds or new transplants into. If it's not well composted, 
the, the, the breaking down process, the composting, decomposing process actually takes nitrogen to, to fuel that. So what nitrogen is there in the soil, it actually could be robbing the soil from in this process. We don't want to do that because we don't have enough nitrogen here to begin with. Does that include like horse manure? Because I used the heck out of that as a mulch. Horse manure as a mulch on top is awesome. Okay. Uh, with one caveat, you depending on what you're feeding, you can get a lot of Bermuda grass if you're using, you know, a Bermuda grass hay or hay that might have some Bermuda grass seed in it. So watch that. If it's alfalfa, you know, it generally isn't a problem. Um a and lot the of Bermuda grass might not be a problem, but it can be. Be reseeded. <laughs> it, it does. It just the seed does not break down in the process, and and uh, then you get Bermuda grass germinating, and and that can be, you know, a big problem depending on where you're mulching. Now, if you're mulching trees that are in a pasture, that's Bermuda grass around it anyway. Well, no big deal. So what? But if you're doing it in a vegetable garden, that could be an issue. But if you're going to use, you know, you can also add horse manure to your compost and you can compost it but you've got to get get it the temperature up get it to break down turn it you know and get it to where it then finally uh, completes that composting cycle that's one of those one of those days <laughs> yeah I, i'll get to composting the manure one of those days right now especially in this kind of heat it's get it out of the pens and get it spread on the ground mm -hmm. um you know, a little down. trick, my dad, when we, I grew up with horses, and, and we and so we would put just a little bit of grain, and we fed pellets. That works phenomenal. So we put a little bit of grain in there, so when the horses had their pellets out there, droppings, uh, apples out there, there'd be enough grain in there, the birds would come along and pick at those to pick the grain out, and they would break those up. And so you didn't have as much raking up, cleaning up to do, because the birds would just kind of scatter it for you. In the perfect world at our place, we get it moved before the birds have a chance and let them scatter it out in the orchard or out in the arena mm -hmm. for dust control, mm -hmm. wherever we're dumping yeah. the, the buckets that day, because we've got eight, and it gets a lot harder to pick it up when it's scattered. And yeah. over the course of a year, if it's not picked up, it it, it becomes pretty problematic. But if, if you are going to compost it, you need to, you know, you need to have a, a dedicated spot. It needs to get turned. It needs to get wet. Uh, you need to get that temperature up for, for an extended period of time, you know, and turn it and then let it cook, basically. And then that, that's what breaks all that down then so that it's truly composted. So for most homeowners, <laughs> back to back to the most homeowner mm -hmm. application here, uh, comp mulching, picking it up at uh, the nursery. What are you looking for? How much... How thick are you looking? How much around the tree base are we trying to apply? It, it depends a little bit on, you know, how much space, you know, how your trees are planted. You know, sometimes people plant their trees kind of deep in a well. That limits how much material you can kind of mound up on the trunk of that tree. You want to be a little bit careful putting a bunch of material up on the trunk of the tree. But I think two to four inches is from a, from a standpoint of, Keeping the soil temperature down, um, holding moisture in the soil, a minimum of two inches up to four inches is ideal, if, if long as you can do that. Now, if your trees are a little low, then just don't go right up against the trunk of the tree. Just, you know, kind of feather it down towards the trunk and build it up as it goes out away from the tree a little bit. 
And do you want to go out three feet, five feet? Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> as the tree grows, you would want to move that line out. And then it, you know, once you get out probably three to five feet after that, then it's almost an aesthetics thing. You see some areas in parks that do a great job of making these nice, sharply cut areas, mm -hmm. keeping the grass edged, putting some mulch in there. Um, I think it looks really good. If you've got big lawn areas, you can get away with big mulched tree ring areas, for a lack of a better word. Um, the smaller your lawn, you know, probably the less room you want to have taken up. Now, the other thing that can happen with certain trees, like citrus, that grow real low to the ground— they're going to shade that area anyway. You're probably not going to have any grass after a while. So you might as well have it mulched <laughs> as opposed to looking at bare dirt. It's a whole lot prettier. Plus, when leaves fall off the citrus trees, when leaves fall off the other stuff, you don't have to pick them up. They just break down and become part of that mulchy-looking stuff that's under the tree. That's the beauty. It cuts down on your maintenance. I have a very messy backyard. I've got a eucalyptus tree. I've got a bamboo. I've got citrus. I've got all kinds of stuff. And I went to, to mulch and bark a long time ago. And I, I literally just, I blow my leaves into my beds and <laughs> off that's the it. lawn. <laughs> and then I mow the lawn and I throw the grass clippings into my beds. And after a few weeks, they dry out. They become the same color as all of that stuff. It all just looks like a mulch bed. So... You know, I'm, I'm creating some mulch from my uh, ficus tree. Mm -hmm. But what I did uh, was put it in a plastic bag, tied it up, and I have it in the corner of the yard. I'm letting it break down. Yeah. Uh, is that okay? I can Plastic bag makes a great composting. You, yeah. know, you know, what you're doing is you're creating a heat source. Right. And you're creating moisture because the plastic is holding, you know, that material's got moisture in it. It heats up. It condenses. And, you know, you can take the plastic bag and turn it. So you're turning it. So, yeah, it's, that's wonderful. And then just check it once in a while. You can kind of tell when it's done composting. In the middle of the composting process, you might get some ammonia smell. You might get a real strong odor. But once it's done and it's made compost, it smells very much just like earth. Mm -hmm. I just have to be careful picking up the bag. <laughs> Just in case get, some uh, interesting critters are under there. <laughs> it's nice and dark and moist under yeah. there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> How much does a bag of mulch cost? They sell them by the cubic yard? You know, bags are sold by the cubic foot. You know, foot, you, okay. couldn't, you couldn't pick up a cubic That's, yeah, yard. yard. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, uh, maybe you Well, could. you know, maybe I could. Uh, not by, you know, without a forklift anyway. Um, so usually it's a two or a three cubic foot bag, and they're going to run from five, six to eight or nine bucks, something like that. And depending on the how big it is, cubic foot might do a couple inches, you know, maybe five square feet, something like that. So it helps prevent weed growth. It helps keep the soil cool. Uh, it helps retain the water when you water it. Uh, the, I, the benefits are endless. And it naturally, like you said, it, it absorbs into the soil and it becomes part of the yeah, soil it, it starts breaking down and going in the soil and building a soil profile that then has microbes and microorganisms and all kind of beneficial uh, organisms and bacteria right back into the soil. That's your weekly home maintenance how-to for your lawn and garden is mulching. Got back, we've got we've mentioned fertilizer. We're going to talk more about how to do that. 
watering changes, and we've got weeds. Are you still fighting weeds? I've got weeds. Oh, they're everywhere. I noticed driving in, you know, the studio, the weeds that are still in the common areas and the city landscapes, and that are terrible. All right, in the yard landscape with Jay Harper of the Farms Choice. Yeah, I didn't even mention the number. It's one triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. That's one triple eight Rosie for you. Text questions four one one nine two three during the broadcast only. Or if you have something you need a little plant or insect identification, you can snap a picture and send it to info at rosieonthehouse.com and we'll do our best to get that answered there as well. You know, it's funny. I was thinking how we used to have this hard line about. People can't call, ask a question, and hang up and listen. No, this is call and talk radio. You've got to stay on the line. You've got to talk to them. And texting came along, yeah. and that basically turned call and talk radio to a commentary. Yeah, and <laughs> This person know, the, texted this and texted that. And <laughs> the guy that taught me said to make sure you answer the question in as much depth, in depth as you could because there would be a whole bunch of other people out there with the same question that would be afraid to call in anyway. Or you don't want a, a bunch of people calling in and asking the same question. Now answer it very well and, and do that. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's changed uh, the complexity. You hear a lot of calls, a lot of shows that don't even take calls anymore. There's just none. So. Well, when we do get a call, we ask that they, if they're driving, they pull over. You know, now with the law that will be coming into effect yeah. where everything's got to be on hands-free, there's nothing worse than in your car listening or in your home listening and the radio program goes to a call. And they're on speakerphone. <laughs> yeah, it's awful. Driving it does not make for good radio. It's not good radio. It does not make for good sound <laughs> Might quality. Might be an interesting question, but we got to yeah. protect the listening experience right. to the users out there. But enough of that. Let's get back to our uh, back off my the bunny trail. It was just an interesting observation right. this week listening to radio. But we're going to talk about fertilizing. So we've got mulching down. Can you fertilize and mulch at the same time? Absolutely. Or is mulching fertilizing? Well, mulching could be fertilizing if you're using, um, you know, a, an organic compost that has some nutrient value. Some do. Ours, you know, the Farm's Choice compost has a, an analysis. It's about 3% nitrogen um, because of its makeup being mainly chicken manure. Um, so it, it can, and compost certainly more have microorganisms, mycorrhiza, beneficial bacterias and microbes in them that actually make what fertilizers are there or that you add work better. There's no doubt that using fertilizers on soil that has a good organic material in its profile are going to be more effective. They're going to be more easily taken up by the plant. There's going to be more space for oxygen. There's just going to be a lot of reasons that that they work better. So yes, you can do them at the same time. Now, if you've got a big thick layer of bark mulch and you throw fertilizer on top of that, a granular type fertilizer, Remember, you need to water it good enough to get it so it works its way down through that material, and it eventually will. Do you have to continue watering it till you see all the little dotted granulars go away, or are we just getting it wet to start a leaching process? Well, so a fertilizer, if you look at a bag of fertilizer, it might be, let's just say it's a 10-10-10. Well, that first number is nitrogen, and that's generally what we're most concerned about. That means out of that 10-pound bag of material that's in that bag, 10% of it, or one pound, is nitrogen. The rest of that stuff that's in there, 
is some type of carrier because you need to spread those that nitrogen out. If you had this one pound of 100% nitrogen in your hand and you threw it on that plant and you didn't get it dispersed well enough, the risk of burning or doing some damage to the roots could be, you know, pretty high. So we put it in a carrier, which could be clay, it could be uh, sand, it could be vermiculite, it could be a lot of things. That's the fluff, in essence, that's in the fertilizer. So a lot of times the stuff you see that's left after you've watered good or it's rain, you think, well, my fertilizer's still sitting there. Well, a lot of times that's just the carrier. The actual nitrogen or phosphorus or potash or all of that or iron or whatever it is has probably dissolved, gone, gone into a soluble state, worked its way down into the soil, and the roots are starting to absorb it. That isn't always the case. You do want to make sure you've watered it good, and you want to water first. So that's the, the scenario is we want a good, well-watered plant, add the fertilizer, and then water enough water to get that material incorporated and leached down into the root zone of the plant. Oops. Yeah, if you fertilize a <laughs> if you fertilize a dry plant, you know that that plant is going to be sucking up moisture as fast as it can, and if that moisture is full of nitrogen because you've just you dumped a bunch of nitrogen on there and then you started adding water and you've got this highly concentrated material and it goes into those flaccid leaves that are not fully hydrated, you have a very good chance of, of burning the foliage and the tissue in that plant. So make sure the plant is well hydrated or well watered or well irrigated first, then add your, your fertilizer, then water it in good. And can you time that around rain? I mean, a lot of times we talk about measurements of inches of water. <laughs> yeah. Do we ever get a rain, especially this as wet as this last winter was? Could Was there ever enough or... Do we need to, like, you talk about watering a lawn and putting a tuna can out. Right. Should we put something like that and as we're watering it, wait till that thing fills up? So it takes we about we two in? inches of water to, okay. to penetrate six to 12 inches deep in the soil. So that's a good rule of thumb. In the wintertime, it's much easier to time it around yeah. rain because those rains also soak better and they're longer lasting. Are you battling weeds on the grounds of your home, castle, or cabin? Well, Bonite has three great options for you. Clean it up, burn it out, or weed beater. That's right. Those are three great options, and I use all of them at my home. Now, the cleanup is a glyphosate product. That's equivalent to your Roundup. We use that in open areas where there's no other trees or shrubs and away from the house. Burnout is an all-organic citrus and neem oil-based product that we use around our edibles. We use it to kill grass, ragweed, and grass that comes up around the tree wells, and then weed beater complete to help keep the lawn green. Whatever your weed problem is, our friends at Bonite have the answer for you. Family-made in America, you can get these products all over the state, including Treeland Nursery in Mesa, Mesquite Valley Growers in Tucson, or all Summer Winds locations. If it's a weed problem, clean it up, burn it out, or weed beater from Bonide. Continue our conversation on landscape and garden. Uh, Mr. Harper, we just talked about fertilizing and wet and... You, know, you fertilize when it's wet and you need that to soak in. I know you're not a big fan of weed and feed. Could 
But while if I'm doing a citrus tree, can I do fertilizer and pre-emergent at the same time? You could you could mix a fertilizer and a pre-emergent. There are the fertilizers that have pre-emergent in them. I think are much more effective than the fertilizers that have a post-emergent or a you know a, a weed killer mixed in them. And you certainly don't want to use those in and around or under your citrus trees. Pre-emergence you can, um, and, if, and fertilizers that have a pre-emergent in with them, I think are a, that makes sense. A, a post-emergent mix with fertilizer to me makes no sense because, number one, if you read the directions on those, you're not, you can't water after you apply them or you're washing the weed killer off of the leaves of the weeds you're trying to kill. So they're, economically, they're not a, a, a good decision. They're not very effective typically if you've got a bad weed problem. I, I just advise people to stay away from them. Only use weed killers where you... Plus, then you're putting weed killer everywhere as opposed to just where you need it, um, which isn't the best practice either. So if you want to use a pre-emergent combined with a fertilizer, fine. And you can generally... You know, read the label, but generally they're okay to use around fruit trees. Pre-emergents, you know, can be applied anytime. You know, you need to do them in certain intervals so that they maintain their effectiveness in the soil over a certain period of time. Um, but they start working as soon as they're incorporated into the soil. If you already have weeds, it's not going to help you with those, but it will help you with the next generation and the ones that are following the next season. There was not a lot of pre-emergent done this last year, or <laughs> or maybe no. we just got enough rain that or no amount of pre-emergent would have mattered. <laughs> and the more moisture you have, the more frequently you have to apply pre-emergence, and it does get can get leached out. Um, but you can definitely tell who did and didn't do a very good job of it. <laughs> I was on a sales call out in the Pinnacle Peak, Rio Verde area. You know, the desert that was really pretty a couple months ago is now really pretty brown. The post-emergent weed control needs to start happening mechanically uh, with a hoe and a rake as well as using pre-emergence for the next upcoming season. I'll say on the plus side, though, have you seen the saguaro cactuses? They are oh, blowing up with flowers. They're they're budding and starting to bloom and that's going to be a big heavy bloom it looks like yeah yep now for weeds that are already dead is there any point to hitting it with weed killer or if they've already gone to flower and you're past the point of being able to kill the seeds yeah and in the cases of the stuff that's already dried up gone to seed it's dry you know that's where you want to make sure you use a pre-emergent especially as you mechanically remove those whether it's by hand and pulling them or use a weed eater and knock them down. I mean, you're scattering that seed potentially all over the place. You might as well just get it knocked down, get it raked up, get it picked up, and then come back with a pre-emergent that'll prevent anything that's there that might come up this summer yet. More importantly, remember all that seed you just put on the ground before next winter comes along, because most of these are, are annual weeds, the, the stuff that's dying now are cool season weeds. They're going to come up with any amount of fall or winter rain next year. You're going to have another bumper crop. So one application in the fall, one application in the spring. That generally will get you both of our weed seasons taken care of. If we have a lot of rain, you might have to do two spring applications. I used to really have a dislike for California cheeseweed. Mm-hmm. After getting overgrown with ragweed, that California cheeseweed isn't so bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was lots of weeds this year that people, you know, I, 
I don't. Some of them I don't know that I've ever seen. Some of them that the uh, the wild chamomile, which had the little yellow button flowers all over it. Oh yeah. Oh my heavens! That it was stuff just everywhere. Really gets me when I go to pick it. I mean, immediately I start sneezing. Oh yeah, it's got a very strong odor and definitely will get you get your sinuses going. But at least on those and the cheese weed, I can stake a goat out and they'll eat it. The goats won't even eat the ragweed. It'd sit there and starve before them? it eats the rag. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's called ragweed for a reason. <laughs> what do you kill it with? I've got a combination of things. Um, <laughs> your own concoction, huh? Well, well your dad would use a flamethrower. That's you, true. <laughs> and so, I know, have done that. And that. That works. And I have pulled them by hand. Mm-hmm. But the thing with the flamethrower is the root's still in there, and it comes back. Yeah. That does not kill the root. And this ragweed, you know, when you pull it, if you don't get that whole root out, it comes back twice as strong and hard the next uh, growing season. So I've started doing uh, liquid applications. And in the lawn, I use the cleanup, which is the glyphosate-based product right. from Von Eyde, right. you know, your, your equivalent to Roundup. I hit it as hard as I can with whatever potency they'll sell me over the counter. But around the orchard, even though they haven't really proven anything, just for the peace of mind, I use the organics. And that works really good, the burnout. It's the neem citrus oil. I mean, within an hour, you can see it start to crumble up and die. I just don't know how well it's killing the root, and I probably won't know until next season. Well, it probably isn't at all. But if you continually kill the top so the plant can no longer conduct photosynthesis, eventually the plant the weed will die. Will die. The, the root will eventually right. die out. So if you do it, in theory, often enough, and, and the smaller and younger and more tender it is, the easier and better. Because if you wait till something's two feet tall and you kill it, then you got a big two-foot-tall dead. Mm-hmm. Then you got to dispose of that. If you can catch them when they're just coming up, zap them with that organic burn product. It just turns it into, you know, burned up tissue and it crumbles and you don't even know it was there. When I was looking at labels, Weed Beater Complete actually lists ragweed. So we're trying that one now around a few of the oak trees. But man, once one little area starts, we see one little new sprout of ragweed where it hasn't previously been. I mean, immediately we attack that area because if you... You'll turn around and there'll be 50. Well, it's very vigorous. As, as you know, you, you see pollen reports, it's way up there. Well, that means it's making lots of seeds as well. So it's very vigorous. Oh, joy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, let's talk about lawn transitioning. We're in that perfect time to start yeah. getting our Bermudas in if we haven't already. We missed planting a winter lawn, so we've got a beautiful Well, your Bermuda's Bermuda. probably greened up It's now. beautiful. I just hit it with a little turf royale this week. One advantage of not doing a winter lawn is you will have a very smooth transition. Your Bermuda will just come back, and it kind of comes back all at once. People that do winter lawns, it's a much more spotty um, process. It can be kind of ugly, especially if the ryegrass stays alive well into the summer, which we really don't want to happen. So now that we've started to touch 100 for a day or two, the ryegrass isn't going to like that too much. It probably has started to see some brown or burning spots or spots in the yard that don't look as good. I, I'm not an advocate for turning the water off and burning it up that way because that's going to damage the struggling Bermuda grass that's underneath that's trying to come back as well. But what you can do is remove as much of that ryegrass canopy 
as possible. You know, it's the same citrus we just talked about. As your citrus trees grow, you won't have lawn underneath them because it's shady. Well, if the ryegrass is big and vigorous, it's shading out the Bermuda grass as well. And if it stays there too long, the Bermuda grass cannot survive in dormancy that long. So we need to remove that canopy. I start cutting the lawn shorter and shorter to the point where you basically just scalp it. It'll look burned up. Some of the ryegrass will come back again, and you know, you then you go through this period. I like to dethatch about mid-June, um, when the Bermuda will be coming back very vigorously. We're just in that time period now where you're just probably going to have a little bit of an ugly lawn in places, and there's not a heck of a lot you can do about it other than try and help the process along by speeding it up, by killing that ryegrass or eliminating that competitor as, as fast and effectively as you can by mowing short, dethatching, airification is another good thing to do. If you can get with a neighbor and maybe go rent a, a core airifier, it's, it's a heavy, hard-to-handle piece of machinery, fairly easy to operate, and it's a fairly fast process. Oh, I usually recommend two or three neighbors go together, do it, help each other out, do it at the same time, get it done. It's you know it's just a little hard to get on and off the little trailer they rent it with, because it's a, it's heavy. It's got to be heavy to drive those tines down into the ground. Make sure you mark your sprinkler heads, whether you're dethatching or airifying, so you don't damage sprinkler heads. And it doesn't hurt to water heavy the day before either. The a first day or time. two before heavy. Yeah, if it's too dry and hard, <laughs> that thing will just be like a jackhammer. It'll be bouncing all over the place. <laughs> the first time I rented one, the, the lawn had been abandoned for, you know, who knows how long before we, we bought the property. I thought, well, there's, you know, look how hard this is. We got to get this aerated to get this water down there. Yeah. <laughs> it uh, was... Sometimes uh, waste take, of time. Yeah, All right, it, learn less. Then it becomes learn. attract me because those tines then just become <laughs> more wheels. They're just pulling that thing along, and it's bouncing and pulling you. Um, the other thing you can do too, some of them you can actually take like a cinder block and wire it to the top to get more weight on it, to get it to drive down a little <laughs> deeper. But yeah, there ought to be some moisture in the soil, or it won't work very well. And those plugs usually fill up fairly quickly. Uh, some people I've seen put sand in them, but. It's a great opportunity once you have these open holes in your ground then to get some gypsum or soil sulfur, some organic fertilizer, organic material, and, and, and get that on there. And then what I would do is take my lawnmower without, a, without the bag or catcher on it and just go in and chop all that stuff up and go over it two or three times and kind of chop that stuff. And it'll just start falling back into those holes all that gypsum, soil sulfur, fertilizer, organic material, and even the plugs, and just kind of fall back in in a loose state and then water it good. Open up the soil, let the root growth really get stimulated. Absolutely. Put you on a nice green lawn. I didn't do the back lawn this summer. (laughs) Uh It seems like we spent a lot of time doing it and then never seemed to get out there. Everyone's always Uh out in the front yard. Well, that's the whole concept of xeriscaping, and that's, you know, you have a lawn where you need a lawn, where you're going to use a lawn. If you don't need a lawn, you don't have any kids anymore, you don't have dogs, then, you know, you probably don't need any grass. But if you got kids and not, then have it, but have it where you're going to use it. It's, you know, it's pretty to look at, but if you're just having it there so you can look at it and the neighbors enjoy it and you get to mow it. That's a lot that, of work for just, just looking yeah, at it. <laughs> there's a lot of things that look good. 
um, <laughs> that you can put in the yard that'll take a lot less water than that. So, all right, it's our final segment here coming up in our outdoor living hour with Jay Harper, the Farm's Choice. We've got a final segment. Anything in particular to talk about? I've got a number of uh, texts we can shoot through here, calls that have come in, but I wanted to make sure we didn't leave without covering anything pertinent and important to our uh, landscape and garden. Well, again, the one thing we touched on at the beginning was irrigation. Is that you know it's that's really the critical thing that keeps all of our plants alive through the hot summer months. So you know, take a Saturday morning. Turn the system on, valve by valve. Make sure, open the clock. Make sure if it's 10 o'clock Saturday morning, that's what the clock says, 10 o'clock Saturday morning, the date's correct. That's your first indication that your controller may or may not be working properly. Um, As long as it's keeping time, then it's probably working okay. Have somebody with you, turn it on, and have somebody walk around with you and make sure we got nothing shooting in the neighbor's yard. Make sure there's water coming out of every emitter the way it should be. If it's not, change them out. Make sure lawn sprinkler heads are putting water where they should be putting it. You know, just make sure it's kind of tuned up and looking good and, and, and running the way it should run. Having that second person at the control box really saves a lot of time, uh, If you especially if you're chasing problems. Well, for front and back, you know, especially if your controller's in the front and you're checking the water in the back. Yeah, that sort of thing. And if you've got, if you've got problems, you, they can holler, and or you can text on your cell phone or whatever, and you know, <laughs> turn, turn it, it off. off. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so make sure that's all working right, and then just kind of a rule of thumb: whatever watering was working well in the winter time, you're going to need about twice that in the spring. Whatever was keeping your plants looking good in the spring, middle of June when it's 105 or 10 every day. You're going to need twice that again. And then we go the opposite. Come fall, you're going to need half of what you were doing in the summer. And in the winter, you're going to need half of what you were doing in the fall. Good rule of thumb for the average guy out there if he wants to know what works. And how do you know what's ideal? Go to that landscape watering by the numbers booklet. Either go to a nursery and get it or go online to wateruseitwisely.com. Wateruseitwisely.com. Dot com, go to landscape watering by the numbers, and it will tell you based on how big the plant is, what the season is, soil type, soil type, how long you need to water to make sure you're getting water to a certain depth, and you can figure out your timing and your frequency that way. A couple quick questions here before we wrap up. Uh, one texter we were talking about fertilizing citrus around the Memorial Day weekend. No need to worry about varieties of citrus. What you put on a lemon, you can put on an orange, you can put on a grapefruit, you can put on a tangerine, you can put on a kumquat. Uh, I tell people to be a little leery if you get a product that says citrus and avocado food. I haven't seen that in a long time, (laughs) but sometimes you would get a product that was obviously developed for someplace other than here, because we, last time I checked, we aren't growing a lot of avocados here. Um, you want to make sure it's a good citrus food, uh, hopefully developed for for the Phoenix area. But uh, follow the directions when all else fails, you know. And we get this all the time, and everyone has various opinions, but a good south-facing uh, shade tree to, co- to cover a south wall. What's a good shade tree? Well, my, my, my absolute favorite is probably the southern live oak. 
My second is probably the red push pistache. My third is probably a Chinese elm. And then, you know, if you want to go a little more deserty, you know, Chilean mesquite, Palo Verdes. If you don't have a lot of room, some of the acacias like shoestring acacia, more vertical tree, does a good job as well. I've only seen one that I know of or that I knew that's what it was, but is it a Texas red oak? There is a Texas red oak. You do see a few around. That's a pretty tree. It's a beautiful tree if they if you can get them to do well. They've got to have really good drainage. They have some issues. I usually tell people if they ask if something does well here, I said, do you see a lot of them? No, I said, well, it probably doesn't. That doesn't that doesn't mean it won't grow here, but that means it probably takes some extraordinary effort or circumstances to get it to grow here. So. Like avocados, we just mentioned. If they did really well here, who wouldn't have one? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Two bucks a piece in the grocery store. You know, who wouldn't have, who wouldn't be growing an avocado? And then, uh, real quick for gardening, anything we could put in the ground right now other than okra? This is kind of our. (laughs) Well, uh, you can, you could still squeeze some squash and melons. You know, um, there's the Malabar spinach, um, eggplant. Tolerates heat pretty well, so there, there's a few things, but it's getting, you know, it's it's getting pretty late to be starting new stuff. We should be probably harvesting tomatoes and peppers now. Um, things should be, if you had winter stuff, the lettuces and those are probably starting to, yeah. Although you don't know with this temperature, they may be hanging in there okay, but uh, leafy stuff's going to be kind of winding down. And tomatoes, there was one time we had a really nice. Uh, mild summer and I thought man we're going to be able to save these and save these and you know it it by the time it was the next season it, it really wasn't worth it and then we wasted all that water trying to save something that you know that, another that you starter buy a plant new one a for a couple pennies. of bucks and in 30 or 40 days you're picking tomatoes again yeah it, do, it does not make any economic sense to try and get them through the winter or through the summer, in my mind. We, we, we went through the beginner gardener stage where you're yeah. just like, oh, i got to try and hang on. We've nurtured this. We can make right. it do it. Let's do it. And then yeah. it's like, what a waste of time. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. All right. Mr. Harper, we appreciate you joining Always us this a pleasure. Saturday morning. The that Farm's was fun. Choice. Uh, great source for organic uh, composting. Compost, organic fertilizer, lawn foods, uh, vegetable garden foods, you, you name it, we can feed it. And what's that web address? thefarmschoice.com